Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This week on Forward... Some people who say the system is a problem might be focused on money and politics or gerrymandering. I wrote this book because I fundamentally believe that the biggest solvable problem is our system of party primaries. When we looked at this in 2022, what we found was that 83% of congressional districts are so safe that the dominant party's primary was really the only election of consequence. And nationally, only about 8% of eligible voters cast ballots in those primaries. So what that means is you have 8% of Americans electing 83% of our Congress. It's no wonder why they don't represent us. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, the executive director of Unite America, which is a phenomenal organization and the author of the brand new book, Drumroll Please, The Primary Solution, Rescuing Our Democracy from the Fringes, Nick Troiano. Welcome back, Nick. So glad to be back with you, Andrew. Nick, so you are the ringleader, the orchestrator of the premier democracy reform organization in the country that's actually putting millions of dollars to work, changing the mechanics of our democracy in real time. Uh, describe to people what the heck Unite America is for people who don't know. Unite America is a what we describe as a philanthropic venture fund that invests in nonpartisan election reform across the country. Uh, and our vision is to foster a more representative and functional elections, uh, more functional government, that is. And so we uh, not only mobilize financial resources to our partners at the state and national level, but also a lot of in-kind strategic hands-on support to help coordinate a stronger, more effective movement uh, and to accelerate our pace of progress on this issue. Well, that sounds very, very professional. How much money did you you guys move, uh, let's say, last year? And how much do you think is going through for 24? Well, I would say since the inception of United America in 2019, we've invested uh, close to $70 million in this movement and have been humbly in support of uh, major statewide victories, whether that was for redistricting reform in Virginia or uh, on nonpartisan primaries in Alaska and at the state legislative level around the country as well. So there, as you know, Andrew, there, and I just came from the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers, which is a group of dozens yes, of friends there. Sure, It was in Colorado. You have to go far because that's where you are. <laughs> it was down the street. Uh, and so I'll just say this is a growing movement of people working from different angles, different organizations, different policies, but really one vision, which is 
to empower our voters in America to be better represented and through that be able to take on the big public policy problems of our time. And so we're uh, proud to support uh, this movement and many organizations in it. So if anyone listening to this is a gajillionaire, check out Unite America, because uh, I genuinely think this is uh, the uh, most efficient, high impact way you can spend money. Uh, we're going to spend $10 billion beating each other up in 2024. Uh, and so what should be spent on making things work better? And the best way to make things work better, and Nick uh, makes that argument very powerfully and cogently in this book. He's like, look, guys, there's a whole set of problems you could be mad about. But the primary problem is the primaries themselves. And you wrote this book because people haven't woken up to the fact that that's actually problem A number one. We do have wide agreement that politics is broken. We're like 69% yep. of D's and R's both agree that uh, democracy is in danger of collapse. But there's not consensus on what the problem is, right? When you ask most people that question, you might get the politicians are the problem, whether that's MAGA extremists or democratic socialists, right? Some people who say the system is a problem might be focused on money and politics or gerrymandering. Sure. I wrote this book because I fundamentally believe that the biggest solvable problem is our system of party primaries. And only about 2% of Americans would agree with that right now. So I'm on this mission <laughs> to make sure more people believe like I do and we do here that our system of party primaries, which were not handed down to us by our founders, they were an invention of about a century ago, are uh, the single most important thing, not the only thing, but the single most important thing uh, we should be focused on fixing right now if we want a more functional politics. Well, I agree with your analysis. Uh, you learned this the hard way because you ran for Congress in Pennsylvania. Uh, and you came out and said, wait a minute, guys, I, you know, like this primary system is the problem. Uh, so I'm very happy to join with you in making this case. And one fun thing about reading your book was you went through the history of primaries and how they came about. And, and I agree with you. People are like, oh, it's carved in stone tablets. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they came up with it and uh, it made sense at a moment in time. Certainly made more sense, but it's made less and less sense uh, for, at this point, years and decades. No, I mean, the founders didn't prescribe party primaries because they didn't even imagine or want a system with parties to begin with. When parties developed early on in the founding of our republic, they then had to figure out, well, what is a way to nominate which candidate our party should be behind? And that original system was called the caucus and convention system, what we otherwise known, uh, otherwise we're familiar with as sort of the party bosses, the smoke-filled rooms. And it became very corrupt. You know, Tammany Hall was the most famous of the party machines, and it was Boss Tweed who said, I don't care who does the electing as long as I get to do the nominating. Yep. And he said that because the nominating contest was the whole ball game as it is today, and that was controlled in a very tight way back then. So it was really uh, reformers of their own period that said, no, actually voters should be able to make these decisions, and that was the advent of the direct primary. And that worked for most of its existence until about the last 20 years, when the primary system layered on top of our deeply polarized politics has now made it a big fuel of the partisanship that we see today. So all we're saying is embrace the tradition and history of our country and let's improve this system for our own times.
This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Yeah, you, you can see it even now with the presidential nomination processes that uh, both parties are going through. Um, so in South Carolina, uh, 4% of registered voters voted in the Democratic primary, which is, a, I'm going to suggest, a minuscule percentage. <laughs> and uh, we're being told, oh, it's over. And you're like, wait a minute, how many people voted in, in a country of 340 million? Uh, similar on the Republican side, where, uh, you know, you had just Iowa and New Hampshire vote. And uh, I, when I looked at the math and it would be something like two-tenths of 1% of the population <laughs> might have voted in these primaries. And it plays out again and again, um, certainly in congressional races, where what percentage of Americans actually participate in these primaries? When we looked at this in 2022, what we found was that 83% of congressional districts are so safe for either the Democratic or Republican primary or parties that the dominant party's primary was really the only election of consequence. And nationally, only about 8% of eligible voters cast ballots in those primaries. So what that means is you have 8% of Americans electing 83% of our Congress. It's no wonder why they don't represent us. And that leads to the biggest tragedy in our politics today, which is not that we, the people, are hopelessly divided on lots of different issues. It's that our Congress is, even when we can agree, and we see this on issue after issue on immigration, for example, being the latest, the American people can find common ground. Why can't our leaders? Well, it's because they don't represent us right now. And that's why it's so important we f focus on how we're electing our leaders, not just who we're electing. Yeah, the, the greatest myth in American life is that our leaders have to make 51% of us happy to stay in office. And it's totally not true. Um, the, the truth is they have to get uh, approximately 5% <laughs> of, of people to like them enough not to challenge them or primary them, and, and then they're golden. Uh, the numbers I continuously try and present to people are that you have a congressional approval rating of, let's call it 15 to 20%, and an incumbent reelect rate of 94%. And people just, their, their minds are blown by uh, the disparity uh, and up to 90% of the seats are now safe seats, to your point. So you can't lose in the general. 
the only way you can lose is if you get primaried, which ends up ma- making you incredibly beholden to the party bosses and the insiders. It's like, oh, like, don't challenge me in the primary and then I'll coast. Uh, and on the flip side, if you do do something principled and courageous, like vote to impeach Donald Trump, um, as those 10 Republicans did, uh, then eight of them were out in the primaries. And so everyone saw that and were like, oh, OK, I get it. Like, that's about the only way I can lose my job in the system. Right. And to your point, Andrew, the only two who survived came from states that do not have traditional party primaries. They've taken this next step of reform to say we should replace the party primaries with a nonpartisan all-candidate primary. So voters have a single ballot where they get to choose whoever they want in every election. That's the system that we're trying to drive for. Five states have this right now for state or federal office. You know, Our goal is to... Uh, increase that number by six by 2026. Yeah, I, I, I love the the fact that you actually called a spade a spade in this way, Nick, where you were like, look, there are a bunch of issues, but the primaries are really uh, the driving force behind a lot of this. And again, I agree with you. Uh, the other issues compound it. Uh, they kind of layer on top of it. But if you're beholden to what the most extreme uh, 8%, really 4% in many ways, <laughs> I think. And I've interacted with the base voters um, on both sides, and they aren't mainstream, shall we say. <laughs> they, they've yep. got a very, very specific point of view, often an interest that they, that is activated them politically. And then when you're in that zone, uh, you feel like, okay, I have to respond to you. I'll give you one example that I thought was saddening. They're, they're a host and your book actually has some because again, you ran for office. And so you're like, oh, um, you know, I, I, I have interacted um, with people in different ways. Uh, when I was running for president in the Democratic primary, I started talking about how men and boys were struggling. Uh, and then I was told, oh, you shouldn't talk about that because this is the Democratic primary. And then I was like, wait a minute, you're telling me that like there aren't like Democrats who are, who are either <laughs> men or boys are concerned about men or boys. I mean, isn't that about half the population? Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, and and so the fact that I was I was getting guidance like that, I mean, like st- struck me as uh, a, an emblem as to how ideological our discourse has become, um, certainly with base voters. And I think you know the late Charles Munger said it best: "Show me the incentives, and I'll tell you the outcome." Well, if the incentives of the system is that our candidates are only talking to and paying attention to their faction on the fringe of their party, well, what's the outcome? It's what we see every day. Um, on immigration, for example, we've reduced this entire nuanced debate down to bumper stickers of build the wall versus abolish ICE. How How, how is Congress going to be able to resolve this issue in the interest of the country when the loudest voices are the ones with the most influence on on the political polls. None of this is to say that those voters should not also have a voice. Sometimes important ideas come from outside of the political mainstream. You've brought one of those ideas into the public uh, square with UBI, for example. Uh, However, there shouldn't be disproportionate influence uh, given to the the factions of our major parties. Our system should be proportional uh, or representative of where the voters are. And that's the dysfunction today. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. 
Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. So Nick, I've, I've, I've got a, a, a question that I get from you all the time, like uh, from other people. They're like, okay, okay, Andrew, I get it. The, these primaries are a problem. But isn't it really a problem on their side? <laughs> you know, like whatever they means. And it's like, it seems like you're saying that both sides are equally to blame. And like, I hate the both sidesism. Like the, the problem is really over there. And if, if you tell me that we're going to fix over there, then I'm into it. But uh, like, if, if you tell me that I have a problem too, then I'm not into it. <laughs> yep. Is that something that, that you get? Cause I get that kind of thing, you know, like a, a fair amount, honestly. I do hear it, but I think it is uh, tone deaf to the moment we're in, which is that we have a democracy that's in a very fragile state right now that the polarization and negative partisanship have gotten to such a point where the institutions of governance are beginning to deteriorate. It's a question of whether we can have free and fair elections with accepted election outcomes. And by the way, election denialism, as I write in the book, did not begin in 2020 uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, We saw in 2016, close to a majority of Democrats believe that Russia actually changed vote totals in our elections. That's not true. In 2018, we saw Stacey Abrams refuse to concede a gubernatorial race. Not all of these things are equal. You know, it was Donald Trump who incited an insurrection that tried to disrupt the proceedings of Congress, of course, but they're all directional. We're going, we're headed into a place where ends justify the means because our politics have become so zero sum. And so if you look at this, not through which party has a bigger problem, but through democracies facing an existential threat because we're in a vicious cycle of polarization, then you have to conclude that regardless of where you are on the partisan or ideological spectrum, we need to unite across lines of difference to fix this system because the current system is not sustainable. So Nick, I'm going to present a fun uh, challenge to you-ish. So check it out. Um, I wrote a book uh, about democracy. uh, um, And uh, what I did was I read a bunch of the democracy books. uh, And, you know, I had my own spin because uh, I'd run for president. I, I leavened it with some fun stories of running for president. 
Um, now, I, I'm, I'm sure that you also have read or inhaled uh, over a dozen democracy books. <laughs> you know, every time a new one came out, you were like, okay, I have to read this one too, because I literally am running Unite America. Um, you know a lot of the authors uh, involved. So how challenging was it for you to say, okay, I'm now going to, to tackle this. Um, I need to incorporate and synthesize uh, the politics industry by Catherine Gale and, uh, you know, maybe Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein and some of the other books that we both, I'm sure, appreciate. Right. Um, but then you also want to add to the field, uh, you know, what what was that process like for you? Because I, I confess to you when I was doing it, uh, I was like, okay, how can I actually um, add something? Because you know you're going to end up sending this book out to a lot of, <laughs> even a lot of the folks that that yeah, uh, you know that that have probably been uh, part of these other works. Well, uh, that's a great question, and and I would say that such I have such gratitude and admiration for those who've helped pave the way to help clarify more more of my thinking and our organization's thinking about what can be the biggest difference we can make in the shortest amount of time, given what our understanding is of, how, of what's wrong with our politics and some ideas of what we can do to fix it. And so, you know, Mickey Edwards being an early author and, and thought leader to say it's a systems problem uh, and Catherine Gale, Michael Porter coming along to say, uh, well, it's actually an industry that at its core is anti-competitive, and that's a giant uh, gap. And to put forward ideas uh, as they have done on final five voting and for you to come along and, and say, in this system, we can actually bring new ideas and new parties into the mix if we had a competitive system. The contribution that I hope to make with the primary solution is to get really specific about party primaries being the biggest solvable problem and an open mind to what the different state-based solutions could look like, yeah. uh, because I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all model, nor do I think that even getting to nonpartisan primaries is the only worthwhile cause. I think we have to embrace as a strategy uh, what it can look like to build a movement that is diverse in its approach, uh, but is also strategic in the way that it can build momentum towards what we're ultimately trying to achieve. And by the way, I don't even think that ends with uh, abolishing party primaries. I think that just buys us more time, more political will and leadership to do the other necessary things to fix our political system. So um, in short, this is a journey that I've been on in trying to find the most impactful ways to fix our political system uh, and believe that there is no silver bullet here. But if there's one thing we should be prioritizing right now, uh, it should be this focus on fixing our primary system. Yeah, I, I love the clarity of message in the book. I learned uh, new things, which frankly, you know, for me, I was like, oh, um, I'm relatively well versed. And so the fact that I learned also about the history of the direct primaries and um, uh, how they got adopted. And then in some cases they got unadopted because people were like, oh, this is too much input <laughs> you know, from, um, from, from uh, various folks. Uh, and you also have a very, an extraordinarily current uh, lens of what the heck is uh, happening in the country right now, more so than I've ever seen in a book because you're leading the implementation. So help draw a picture for people because a lot of people listen to folks like you and me, Nick, and they're like, oh, can this be done? Like, it, right. it, is this possible? You say, hey, let's get rid of the primaries. And people think, like, aren't they carved into a stone tablet? Uh, you know, and you're like, well, actually, not not so much. So um, in November of this year, there are 
four plus states that actually are going to consider whether to get rid of their primaries. And if a number of them um, make that move, then we could be looking at a different landscape as early as 26 or 28. Yeah, it's an exciting time for the election reform movement right now. And you're right, the book is not just an academic exercise of problem diagnosis and solution. It is a prescription for a roadmap for how we can actually win. And the key to winning is the Constitution giving every state the ability to set the time, place, and manner of their elections, which means in half the states that have ballot initiatives, the citizens can directly you know, qualify uh, measures to the ballot and vote on these election changes. In the other set of states, they can lobby their state lawmakers, and there are campaigns to do this. And there are learnings from campaigns that have been run and won. So in the book, I talk about how California moved to a top two system. It was both a legislative effort in a very courageous state senator, Abel Maldonado, who said to the Democratic Party, he was a Republican, if you want my vote on the state budget, you're going to have to put top two on the ballot. They did. They put it on the June ballot thinking it would fail. But surprise, a majority of voters supported it. California succeeded. There's a lesson in that for the ways that incumbent leaders, courageous ones, can actually use their political capital to advance these ideas. I talk about Maine, um, a state where it was the latest state actually to open its primaries to independent voters voting for the first time this year. And of course, in states like Alaska, where citizens like Scott Kendall there led an initiative uh, to do something bold and for the first time with a top four primary. And what did we learn about how to craft an initiative that had multiple components to it, including campaign finance reform that was more salient to voters. So the, the art of and science of being able to win on these policy issues is one that this movement has already learned some valuable lessons and can even replicate some good best practices from other movements that have won. I, I have a whole chapter sort of just on the marriage equality movement, for example, and what we can learn about having a diversified state strategy. So the book does get into brass tacks of how we win because winning is what enables us to make policy change, which enables impact and builds momentum towards us being able to do this on a larger scale long term. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Yeah, it's one thing I, I really loved about the book is that it's much more practical and even tactical than most any other book I see because no one else is running the organization that's actually running the plays uh, in the way that Unite America is. So uh, for folks at home, uh, Nevada, it's 100% going to be uh, on the ballot in November. Uh, and there are three other states where some version of it's also going to be on the ballot? Yes. They're already collecting signatures, for example, in Montana and Idaho and South Dakota. Colorado is going through its title board process. There's folks in Arizona pursuing this. So in several other states, we can get to November and there may be real opportunities to win these reforms. And to the extent that we are successful, which I believe we will be, 
this is what can precipitate other states following suit in 2026. And we were talking about history before. This is the way that reform has happened in our country, right? 1904 was the first state that adopted a direct primary. Within a decade, a majority of states did. And the other lesson I learned in doing this research, Andrew, which is that it's not only the uh, catalyzing impact that reformers have that spread these reforms. It is also the fact that reforms can solve salient problems for the parties themselves. It was the political parties back in the progressive era that saw the breakdown of the caucus and convention system that were open-minded to reforms. And I think the same thing is should be the case today. If you're the Republican Party coming out of the last midterm elections and you lost five swing state Senate races because you nominated more extreme candidates, you should be looking at what your nominating process is. You know, Leader McConnell, when you say candidate quality, you're really saying the primary system. Same thing on the Democratic side. Uh, Congressman Schrader, as we both know, lost his primary only for the Democrat to lose the general election. And that contributed to Democrats losing the House. So if both parties want to become more competitive, they too should be open to uh, these reforms. Well, that's the dark thing, man, is that you think parties are going to operate like they're trying to win. And then sometimes they do things that really do not make it seem like they're trying to win. So Nevada, Montana, Idaho, South Dakota, um, maybe Arizona, maybe Colorado. And am I right that Oregon somehow uh, also uh, has a vote in November? Yeah, they're taking a step toward uh, an Alaska style system by voting on the ballot for ranked choice voting, uh, which is sort of half of the full package. And that was referred to the ballot by the state legislature. Um, so Speaker Dan Rayfield, who has been spending a decade plus working on ranked choice voting and talking about in Oregon, was uh, a champion of this. And on a bipartisan basis, the legislature now put it to a, a vote of the citizens, which will be on the ballot in November. Yeah, so that by my count is uh, four or five or six states. Um, and so if people listening to this or watching this can imagine six, eight, 10, 12 U.S. senators who don't have primaries anymore, holy cow, that could change everything. Uh, and if you see what's happened in Alaska, um, you've actually seen a very different style of governance and decision making already from getting rid of uh, the primaries in 2020. Um, so th this could be extraordinarily powerful. I agree. And my most compelling use case of impact in Alaska, as I write about, is State Senator Kathy Giesel. She was primary out of office in 2020 by, by working across the aisle, only to run again under this new system. And one, uh, she became the Senate Majority Leader of a bipartisan caucus in the Senate, but what was most extraordinary is what she told me in our interview about how her campaign strategy changed. In her first elections under the party primary system, she would get the voter roll you know, from the Republican Party saying which doors to knock on of Republicans that frequently vote in the primary elections. Under this new system, she threw that to the side. There was no voter database that she consulted. She literally just knocked on the door of every constituent uh, in her wow, neighborhood, imagine. in her district. Imagine that. And it shaped her perspective of where her constituents stood on issues. It influenced the way, for example, that she governed on um, public education. Uh, for example, the state Senate actually passed the largest increase in public education in this latest uh, session, partly as a result. And we can think about this in terms of policy, but also just think about it in terms of political culture. 
what does one society look like in which voters are only exposed to candidates from their own side versus a it's society worst, in which we actually hear from different candidates of different political persuasions trying to win our vote? Or maybe not our first place vote, but maybe our second place vote. It's a different world. And so if we're concerned about the level of toxic polarization that exists to the extent that political violence is a real possibility, well, here is a political system that we have the opportunity to create uh, that can mitigate a lot of that divisiveness that we see today. Yeah, imagine just knocking on people's doors and not having uh, them pre-screened for you in terms of uh, they're this party or they're that party. And then you find out what most people kind of want to see in their schools. I'm like, oh, let's try and do that for them. And then you're rewarded for that because you don't have to navigate the party primary system. I mean, uh, it, it would be a great leap forward. And it's happening in Alaska. It could happen in other places. So if you are a forward party uh, aficionado and you live in or know people in Nevada, Colorado, Montana, Idaho, South Dakota, that's a tough one, I know, Arizona, Oregon, uh, let the people know, look, this could be right there for you in November. And I dare say I'll probably be in most of those locations at some point uh, trying to help make the case uh, because there is obviously the election, uh, the elections in November where, you know, a lot of things are going to get decided. Um, But for our movement, uh, there are massive stakes And you have to think on November 7th, not many people will be reporting, oh, uh, Nevada just, uh, you know, approved question three. And then I think it's like that's not the way the stakes get framed in the mainstream press. Most people don't understand uh, the reform movement. Uh, But I I know you'll be focused on what happens uh, in, in these states, as I will be, too. And if there's anything that we can do to be helpful, what can we do aside from uh, keep our eyes peeled, try and get behind these ballot initiatives when they come up? Well, first, um, give a copy of the primary solution to someone that you think would uh, benefit from from learning more about it. Visit our website. There are organizations, the Forward Party, Represent Us, Open Primaries, Rank the Vote. There are a lot of orgs that you can get involved in at the state uh, level. If you're a veteran, Veterans for All Voters, and see what's possible to achieve in your state. Even if you don't have a ballot initiative process, There are active campaigns for new laws or changes of laws in state legislatures. I'll give you two examples in Pennsylvania and New Mexico, active campaigns to lobby the legislatures to allow independents to vote in the party primaries. Yes. Um, Right now, this election year, Andrew, we just released a report that showed 24 million independents locked out of presidential and congressional primaries. A majority of young people are independents. Nearly half of veterans are. How dare we tell the future of the country and those who fought for it, they don't get to have a voice in our democracy. If you live in one of the 22 states that has these close primaries, get on the phone with your state legislator and start asking them, where do they stand on this? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
I, that's even low to me when you talk like 24, 27 million, because, uh, you know, I, I do the math on the number of independents out there. I mean, now it's about half the population. Uh, but I know you were just looking at people who are locked out of uh, their primaries in certain states. Right. No, thank goodness for you, Nick, Unite America. Um, your journey has been fascinating. Uh, and for people who want to hear more about Nick's story, uh, I did have him on the podcast Gosh, now it must have been a couple of years ago. So in, right. in some ways, that's Nick Troiano one, the origin, <laughs> the intro, the arc. And then this is Nick Troiano two, the author, the leader, the ringleader, the orchestrator of the democracy reform movement. Uh, congratulations on this book, The Primary Solution, Rescuing Our Democracy from the Fringes. I agree with your analysis. I get irritated when people are like, oh, it's this, it's that. It's like, look, man, if you don't change the incentives, then we're sunk. And the only way to do that is to change the primaries. And that's actually a more doable challenge, believe it or not, than these other things that we're talking about. And when, when I put math to it, because that's the way I think. Um, so some of these states and some of the states you named are among the cheapest states. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Alaska's uh, inexpensive, obviously. Um, South Dakota is inexpensive. Um, uh, Idaho, I'm guessing, is not that expensive. Um, but if you had to take round numbers at it, you're looking at, let's call it um, 10 to $20 million to have a shot at uh, at having these initiatives pass and then changing the primaries in each state. So I try and tell people, look, you spend 120 to $200 million. Um, now, you're not going to win in all states. Like you might win in, you know, three or four, and, and even though you were up in six, but realistically, you could free up six, eight, 10 US senators and a greater number of members of Congress from their primaries for one to $200 million, which is, by my math, one to 2% of the 10 billion that's going to get spent. <laughs> I was like, guys, this is the best ROI you can imagine. I mean, when you talk about the Alaska results, and you're talking about this awesome state senator, to me, I call out uh, U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski. I was like, you want to think about the value difference between Lisa Murkowski, who, by the way, is totally sane, principled, and competent, and the the Trump endorsee Kelly Shabaka, who was like part of his revenge tour. Like the the difference between Lisa Murkowski and Kelly Shabaka is vast. <laughs> the, the fact that um, that you put together a process that would enable Lisa Murkowski to vote to impeach Trump and then return to the Senate. I mean, you know, like that, that is the best ROI um, you can find. You must be very, very proud because I know you and Unite were um, uh, a huge part of that 2020 effort. Um, so the, the fact that you have a chance, we all have a chance to make meaningful change in the system, uh, it's very real in a way that uh, must be very exciting to you because for years you've been making a case in the abstract, then all of a sudden you can point to real states and real races. As you said, it's, I think it's an opportunity for all of us who care about this moment that democracy is in because when people ask, well, what's the biggest barrier to achieving this? One natural response might be, oh, it's the party in power that might oppose us. I, I believe it's the learned helplessness of voters right now who don't believe there's anything we can do about the state yeah. of our democracy they trained. today. They throw their hands up and be like, yeah, what are you going to do? Exactly. Money, crooks, et cetera. <laughs> so, so my hope is that we just reconnect with our own sense of agency, that we can fix these things. We have fixed these things and we, and we can continue 
uh, to do so. Uh, well, certainly you're going to be a massive part uh, of that happening. Uh, you're a source of optimism and inspiration for me. Love you and your work uh, and Unite America. Um, so everyone, do check out and buy for your friends who are despairing for what the heck to do in real life. The Primary Solution, Rescuing Our Democracy from the Fringes by Nick Troiano. Nick, uh, let, let's go fight it out in November uh, and hopefully give uh, ourselves a shot at a better future. But thank you for your awesome work and congratulations on the book. Thank you. And thank you for being a champion of this movement, Andrew. I remember when we first connected, you asked me, who's the biggest champion of this issue? And I asked you if you supported it. And when you said yes, I said well, now you are. <laughs> You've brought an incredible platform uh, and following a supporters into this movement. So thank you for doing your part uh, to, to say the obvious part out loud at a time when a lot of people do not have the courage to do so. So appreciate you. I learned from you, Nick. Uh, so if people want to keep up with you and your org, is the best way to do so to go to uniteamerica.org? It sure is. And you can connect to uh, our partner organizations, the state uh, groups, and get involved. Uh, we, you know, we can do this. 2024 is our opportunity. We do not have to relive this nightmare of an election between the lesser of two evils every two and four years. Uh, that, that's our chance of what we can begin to accomplish this year. Do more in 24. UniteAmerica.org. Nick Troiano, the primary solution indeed. Thank you, man. Let, let's Thank you, Andrew. do everything we can together. Really appreciate it.